I want to uh, share a message that I believe is very relevant and necessary. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to catch that last phrase. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, not as I will, but on earth as it is in heaven. There seems to be this dissonance between um, what we have come to expect or what we expect from the church, what we expect to see and hear from the church. This gap, this space between what we expect and what we actually see and hear from the church. I sit with friends who do not know Jesus and they see, they notice what's happening in our world around us and they're wondering where is the church? Why didn't the church speak to this? Why didn't your preachers, why don't your preachers uh, speak to that issue, address this issue. Why is it that I can, I can get more from celebrities and athletes as to what we ought to do with a particular issue in the culture? It's as if between the resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, it's as if we're supposed to just relax and chill. God's got it. He's already figured it out. I'm saved. I'm good. I go to church. I tithe. I give. I have my small groups. I do all these things. But in between the resurrection and the second coming is supposed to be a participation with the move of God. Now, let me take a time out real quick. I'm a, I'm a black man from a black church. I'm okay with amens and hallelujahs. All right? <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. And whoever gets the amen, it's going to be me and you, the whole service. I'm coming back to you. I'm preaching to you. We're going to have a good time. But, but I said, come, I'm coming. I hear you. But the silence of the church is deafening. And it's frustrating for me. The churchiness of the church. That's what I said. That's what I said. Whatever you said, I said that. The legalism of the church. The church has, be, has come to be known for what, more for what we're against than what we're for. The church is, 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 is now being confused for political affiliation. And yet the church is a part of, of, of the move of God, is a part of the family of God that is supposed to transcend all and move on behalf of God until Christ returns. And we tithe and we attend our small groups and we do our things on Sundays at times, but I'm going to suggest to you that there are some things that are more important, that are, that are weightier, to use Jesus' terms. 
There are things that are more important to God. I want you to look at these two verses, Micah 6, 8 and Matthew 23, 23. I'm going to use them kind of, I'm going to go back and forth with them, but it says this, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? He gives us three things. This is what God requires. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus seems to, to be paraphrasing, um, but, but, but saying the same thing that Micah, the prophet Micah says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the other. They both, the prophets, they, they both recognized that the people they were speaking to were willing and available to bring sacrifices to God. If you read Micah 6, 8, and let's go back just a few more verses, and 6, 2, he says, For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, verse 3, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Verse 5, oh, my people, remember what Balak, Balak uh, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and so on. And so he's speaking to his people, and he's, he's challenging them. He's calling out the, the, the sin issues that's happening within the community. He's not speaking to one individual. He's speaking to the community to the people of God. Now, I'm certain that there were people in this community that were, were faithful to God. I'm certain there were some that were doing what God had asked of them, that they were representing God. But collectively, what characterized the community, the family, the nation, were, 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 was sin. And so the prophet uh, says these words in verse 6. Uh, now, I don't know if this is an individual speaking or if this is a, is a representation of a collective voice for the people. But it says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow before myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The, 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 the person or the, the voice speaking on behalf of the community is asking, what can I bring to God? What are the things that I can give to God that will please him? Yeah. Now, now, what's interesting is God owns everything. So there is nothing that God needs from this person in terms of material. The, the, the sacrifices were an act of worship. But because they were missing certain things, because there were some things that we're going to get to in just a second, it would, it would render their sacrifices, their worship, uh, in vain. And Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. He says, you tithe, sure. You write your checks. I, I see you. You, you, do, you do what you're supposed to do. You keep doing that. But there's some important things that you're missing more important issues at hand, things that concern God, right? And so, and, and, and he says, 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Verse 8. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Look, look at 1 Samuel 15, 22, what, 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 what the prophet says. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, or look, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He says, listen, he says, to hear me and obey me is more important even than the checks you write for tithing. If I were to, if I were to put a mirror, if this were to be a mirror for me as a preacher, then God would be saying to me, mercy, justice, and faithfulness is more important than how well you can eloquently exegete the passage. Because if you can do that, and then you leave out these doors, and you don't have these other three things, then you're just noise. Pastor. And so I have to read this as well and let it speak to me. Uh, Isaiah 29, 13 says this. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. He says they know how to sing. They know all the worship songs. They got the lyrics down pat. They know how to say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm praying for you. But their hearts are not with me. God has an all-inclusive plan for us. One, and when we talk about the heart, I'm not talking about this organ that beats in your chest. I'm talking about the core of who you are. See, if God has my heart, he'll have my money. If God has my heart, he'll have, he'll have my service. If God has my heart, he'll have my time. He'll have my resources. He'll have all that's an extension of me because he has all of me. Right? So the question is, for each of us, what's rivaling God in the real estate of my heart? What's taking up space that I've determined, I've determined, I got this part right here, God. I'm not willing to surrender this part to you. I'm busy doing some other, some other things, some other good things, God. What's, what's rivaling God in my heart? That has to be a question that the psalmist says in Psalm 139, search my heart, O God. Know my thoughts and see, identify, reveal if there's any wicked way in me. And then when you do that, God, now lead me to the way everlasting. See, that, that's, that's the end goal. That's the purpose of asking God to search my heart, to reveal the things in my heart, because I need to know the path. And I don't really know the path on my own. I need God to reveal things to me. And so the prophet is revealing things to the community. I've required these things of you. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Walk with me. In and, and verse, and verse 8, he says, do justice. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying feel good about justice. 
He's not saying, agree with me that justice is a good thing. That's not what he's saying. It's a commandment. He says, do justice. In other words, he's telling the people of God that you are to participate with the Spirit of God and bring about or produce justice in your sphere of influence. He says, do justice. Isaiah 117 says this. This is good. This is good. Check this out, y'all. This is really good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Hold on, God. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Slow down, God. Slow down. Slow down. Seek justice. You should be, you and I should be looking. The Bible says the eyes of God go to and fro about the earth looking for someone to stand strong in. I can mimic God when I seek where there is injustice, which is a a, a distortion of good. Evil is a distortion of what is good. What God originally intended to be good, evil is that distortion. And likewise, injustice is a distortion of, of good. Right? In other words, also the opposite of good. I should be seeking justice. There's nothing passive about that. And then he says, correct oppression. Listen, oppression, anything that prevents someone from experiencing or realizing the fullness of their humanity is oppression. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be emotional. It can be mental abuse. It can be anything manipulative. It can be systems that we have to navigate that are oppressive. So anything that prevents you or I from experiencing the fullness of our humanity as God intended is oppression. The Bible says correct it. The church says correct it. And then he says bring justice to the fatherless. Those around you, dad is not around. Dad is not there. Dad is absent. And then he says, plead the widow's cause. Be an advocate. Be a voice for the widow. In other words, where there is the weak and where there is vulnerability, there should the church be. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Where there was sin, where where there was bondage, where there was oppression, where there was anything that is a distortion of what God originally intended, Jesus came on the scene. He died to release us. He died to free us. And so we are called to mimic that on the earth. Listen, Matthew 5.10 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, synonym for justice sake, for just cause, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the cause of justice. Listen to what, what, let me me share share this with you. Justice is a risky public display of love. Can you bear the weight of that? Justice is a risky public display of love. Justice, listen, is about solidarity. I 
I stopped talking about diversity. That should be the starting point, not the end goal. But I also know that there are people that have worshipped with me that don't look like me, but they, don't, they wouldn't take up my cause. I know this by experience, that when something has happened to me, I look around, there's no one. They're silent. Unity is good. But we can be united for specific things. And the moment something happens to you, I can, I can slide on out of there. Why? Because for me to seek justice for you, to be in solidarity with you, to advocate for your cause, I have to take a risk that I might get hurt along with you. And that's why we can't just be about diversity and not even just unity and even reconciliation. Reconciliation means we're good. We're cool. You and I are cool, right, Tina? We're good. Yeah, cool. But solidarity says, if you mess with Tina, you mess with me. You mess with Tina, you mess with me. That's Jesus. You mess with humanity, Satan, you mess with me. You put them in bondage, I free them. You oppress, I release them. You try to influence, I have all authority. And I give it to them. Are you with me? Is this making sense? I only hear one, one amen, my cousin. I can hear one amen. Right. I'm just going to preach to you, Latanya. It's just, I'm, let me just turn this right here. I'm just, this me and you right here. And you're going to get the overflow. Y'all going to get the overflow. So, listen, listen. Injustice allowed to persist causes anxiety, hopelessness, and bitterness in those who are victimized. If I allow injustice in my family, in my community, at my job, in my state, in my city, and I don't think of being a part of correcting it, I'm allowing for, for anxiety, hopelessness, and bitterness in those who are victimized. I'm allowing for it. My grandfather, his brother-in-law, I never knew my grandfather. My grandfather was killed in 1954. I usually say, killed by the hands of racism. My father was two years old. He never knew his dad. My, father, my grandfather was a veteran of the, of the military. Put his life on the line for this country. And because of the color of his skin, his heritage, he was killed. Will there ever be any justice for him? On his birth certificate, it says, accidental drowning. He swam to safety in Pearl Harbor. The man could swim. I asked my grandmother before she passed. She told me about the bullet holes that were found in his body. He was killed. His death certificate says, accidental drowning. That's an injustice. I don't, think, I don't know if we'll ever see any justice on his behalf. So the closest I've come figured out some justice is that his story would be told 
Every time I stand before people and speak about the justice of God, every time I attempt to be a part of dismantling isms, especially racism in this country, every time I share the story and preach the word of God to bring unity in the body of Christ, my grandfather's story will be told so God can redeem his life and his death will not be in vain. And I watched... I watched my grandmother carry bitterness for years where she couldn't even talk about it. I watched my father. I told him a year and a half ago, I asked him a question. After my grandmother and my uncle passed, he was talking about him grieving their death. And I asked him a question. I said, do you think you're still grieving your father's death? He said, I never knew my father. I said, that's my point. He said, you know what? You might be on to something. I never thought about it that way. So as a side note, when people say, let's forget about the past and let's just move on, you can't move on until you remember the past. A friend of mine says, memory is an act of love. That's why we remember 9-11. It's an act of love for those who died the firefighters who went in that building. I was in New York during that time, and the firefighters that went in there, that's an act of love when we remember. Violence comes with amnesia. It's an act of violence. That's a whole other sermon right there. <laughs> Listen, I, I, status quo is dangerous. Now let's broaden this out. Beyond racism, whatever ism, whatever injustice that you might see, status quo, complacency, lukewarmness is dangerous. Anybody who doesn't want, don't, don't mess anything up. Everything's cool. No, it's only cool because they hadn't come to your front door. It only benefits, status quo only benefits the powerful, the fearful, or the comfortable. It doesn't benefit those who are affected by some type of injustice. That woman or that child being abused at home, status quo does not work for them. It is dangerous. Justice, however, and compassion are siblings. They're related. Jesus says, here are the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Micah says, do justice, love kindness. They're next to each other for a reason. They're siblings. I don't believe that I can, I'm willing to do justice if I don't have the capacity to have compassion and mercy. Compassion or mercy or this kindness is a pity it is feeling sorry for. It is a sympathy because of someone's condition that you recognize. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. So make it relevant for today. The church, we can be blinded by our own self-righteousness. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I'm good. But you miss that. Your neighbor that's crying and screaming at night because of an abusive husband or 
a child that's trying to tell someone, but no one would believe them that they've been, they're being molested, and you miss, you're missing that. You're not even available to discern anything. You're blinded by your self-righteousness. I don't want to be blinded by my self-righteousness. I don't want to be self-righteous at all. I don't want to be blinded by my gifts to preach or, or anything like that. I don't want to be blinded. I want to see. Compassion is this. Compassion is born from a heart that feels what God feels and eyes that see what God sees. Compassion. When I stop feeling, I'm in trouble. But guess what? Here's the dangerous part. When I stop feeling, you're in trouble. When I stop feeling your pain, as Paul says, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When I stop suffering, and I no longer have the, the availability to suffer with you. When I no longer have the willingness to feel your pain, both of us are in trouble. Both of us. Empathy is this. Empathy is Matthew 25 where Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Whatever you didn't do, you've done to me. Matthew 25. That's empathy. That is Jesus saying, I identify with the least of these, the vulnerable, the naked, the stranger. I identify with them. Why? Because Jesus himself was a stranger. Jesus himself was vulnerable, born in a manger. So he identifies with them. That's empathy. Sympathy is the Samaritan man in Luke chapter 10, the Samaritan man who did what the, what the, what the, the Levite and the priest should have done. He comes over, he sees a man broken and beaten, and broken and beaten, left for dead, is not always physical. Sometimes it's emotional, spiritual, or mental. And so the, the Samaritan man sees this man lying there left for dead, where the priest went around them, and the Bible says that he had compassion. It was that compassion that compelled him to come over, heal this man, tend to his wounds, pick this man up, put this man on his animal while he walked to the inn. If you've ever been in Jerusalem or Israel, outside of Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, it's all desert, it's all dry, and we drove past the supposed spot with the, the inn, the Samaritan inn, we drove past that, that, that place. That, it's nothing but dry land around there. So that man would have been tired himself. But he picked this man up, put this man on his animal, and he walked while that man rode. He took him to the place. He paid for, his, 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 for the services and said, whatever you need to charge more, charge it to my account. You know where it all started with? Compassion. Wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me, I can't just say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'll be praying for you. I can't just do that? That's not enough? You mean to tell me I can't say, what's your, what's your number? I'm going to get my, what's your name? I'm going to get my prayer team to be covering you in prayer, okay? You, you mean to tell me I can't text 
a praying hands emoji to let you know I'm praying. I got you. I can't do that. I'm not going to just text one. I'm going to text like three or four or five of them back to back. That means you're really praying. Like, I got you. I got you. I got you. No. He picked him up. Heart filled with compassion and mercy. Not cold. Not, not, not. He wasn't governed by self-preservation. He put himself at risk because while he was helping this man, someone could have possibly come and take him out too. What did we say earlier? Justice is a risky public display of love. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Real quick, real quick. Let me, disclosure, disclosure. My best friend is a police officer. I've mentored four police officers in this Los Angeles area. I want them to go home too. But when unarmed black men that look like me are profiled and then end up dead, I have an empathy because I know what it feels like to be racially profiled in my own neighborhood while walking and driving. And so when they end up dead, I, I hear my friends say, well, let's wait for the facts. Okay, let's wait for the facts. But while we're waiting for the facts, can you grieve for the family? If you're more concerned about the facts than you are that the fact that there's a dead child, there's a dead husband, there's a dead son, there's a dead daughter, then something is wrong on the inside, not the facts. Because even if the facts come out in your favor and you agree with the facts, there's still someone dead. Life is gone. Can you grieve with me? I need to know Jesus is in you, not the Pharisee. We'll get to the facts. Can you lament with me? We don't do that. As a church, as a nation, we don't lament with each other. There are people hurting right around. Someone sitting next to you is hurting. Are you available for the Holy Spirit to, to compel you to, to pray and to, to, to lean over and to, to ask and to pay attention and to lament with them, if to listen to them? Are you available? We wonder, a friend of mine, his, his girlfriend's daughter, best friend, attempted suicide in San Diego earlier this month, survived, jumping off the Coronado Bridge. Can barely walk. She's walking now, praise God. Did anybody see her hurting? Did anybody feel? That's my question. Could there be one who, have, who could have felt pain compassion 
is when is born from the heart that feels what God feels and sees what God sees and then moves. I'm going to close with this. Faithfulness, Jesus says, walking humbly with your God, Micah says, that's about trustworthiness. That's about God trusting me with the stewardship of my faith. See, faithfulness is more, is not just about obedience, but about stewardship. It's about stewarding relationships. Stewarding the relationship between you and your spouse. Yeah, come on up, come on up, come on up. Stewarding relationship between you and your spouse. Stewarding a relationship between you and your children, your coworkers. Faithfulness is Pastor Glenn. How many years? 25? That's faithfulness. I want that type of faithfulness. I don't want to say I want good, but ignore that which distorts the good around me. I don't want to say that I want revival. I want God to change my community, to change this nation, to change the world. But I stay silent and complacent. Where God wants to start is where you're sitting. He wants to move in you and then unleash you. And simultaneously, he's unleashing himself. himself. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Can you bear the weight? Father, we thank you and we praise you and we exalt you. I pray, oh God, that you would press upon our hearts this word, that you would cause fruit in our lives, oh God, that we would represent you and change this culture. In Jesus' name, amen.